Hey everybody, I'm Steve Green with Bill Whittle and Scott Odd, and this is your Right Angle Lightning Round. I love doing these. So without further ado, let's dig right in. Oh, Scott's so cheerful. <laughs> I almost buy it. Uh, Scott, we are going to start with you just for that. Oh, this story, man. Oh, we're living in a crazy timeline. Hospital struggles to treat 18 Waukesha parade victims because of vaccine mandate. The largest children's hospital in Wisconsin has been struggling to care for patients injured in the parade attack on November 21, in large part because of staffing shortages stemming from its COVID-19 vaccine mandate, according to multiple sources. Um, Scott, I guess my question is, aside from just how awful this is, and I think we all know that, is what the hell happened to our ability as Americans, we used to be really good at this, our ability to prioritize in a crisis? Yeah, actually, if you look at the history of the United States, we've been extraordinarily effective at a combination of developing functional processes and executing triage measures in rapid sequence so that we could actually get things done. I mean, you know, when people uh, think about the Normandy invasion in World War II, they think, you know, about guns and boats and tanks landing and all that kind of stuff. But the real miracle of Normandy was guys sitting with calculators and pencils and paper and writing things down of saying, okay, uh, we can use this uh, three miles of beach and we can land this many people at this frequency and being able to calculate that all out and figure out a way to make it happen. I've really been shocked at the, uh, not just the healthcare industry. There are a lot of businesses that are having a hard time with this, but the healthcare industry above all, should be better prepared to handle this kind of triage function and set up um, a system of subdivisions within their organization. If they want to follow these protocols, they've got to figure out a way to change the way we've always done it before in order to adapt to the the exigencies of the moment. And and it just stuns me that they haven't been able to do so. You know, I was in a, a podiatrist office earlier today and they still have, you know, the normal waiting room. And the only distinction is on the door, there's a sign where we still have to wear masks there. I don't wear a mask anywhere else. I'm fully vaccinated. I don't have to wear a mask anywhere. Nobody can, you know, nobody challenges you anyway. And so, you know, at work, I work all day long without a mask on, but then I go to the podiatrist and I have to put the mask on because that whole medical building requires that. And then you get into his office and they have chairs and every few chairs, there's a sign that says, you can't sit here because we're trying to keep people distant from each other. (laughs) And I'm like, this is the system? You just take your existing waiting room and get some printer paper and, you know, churn out a couple of cheap signs and tape them on the chairs. And that's not a critique of this particular doctor's office. It just seems like whoever, that whole generations of people who were expert at, at figuring things out and and systems and processes and logistics just seem to have died off all of a sudden. I mean, maybe they were the most vulnerable to COVID <laughs> and they suddenly all fell slain by the disease before they had a chance to tell the other knuckleheads of us left behind how to get organized. <laughs> they weren't slain by the disease. They were slain by the response to the disease. Yeah, that's been far worse. Um, Bill, oh, this is an interesting political headline, but 
I'm only bringing it up because we got to get to the lead of this story. The the Politico headline says Dems want Biden to start swinging at Republicans. Allies aren't sure he can, which would have been a really interesting story, except I couldn't read it. And the reason I couldn't read it was because of the lead sentence. Joe Biden spent much of his first year in office proving he could still work across the aisle. Could I get your thoughts on that, please? Did you say Joe Biden spent the first year of his presidency proving he could work across the aisle or walk across the aisle? <laughs> Take your pick. Because both yeah, I'm gonna are go total with walk bull. across the aisle. Yeah, he's a he's a uniter, all right. There's no question about that. And his uh, stratospherically high approval ratings are indication, obviously, of his ability to do nothing but build bridges. And and uh, I think uh, in terms of his likability, he's only surpassed by the vice president. Uh, comes a point where, where where your sarcasm gland just starts to give out. It's kind of like one of those cases where you just you burn out your adrenals or your, you know, whatever. And, and and I'm rapidly reaching that point where it's not even there's not even sarcasm anymore. It's just kind of a it's just kind of a of a like a I don't know. It's like a kind of mental halitosis where where you've been lied to so much for so long about so many things that everything you breathe back and reply is just is just coated with so much contempt that it's it's it doesn't even require thinking anymore sure that's what it is joe is such a uniter that it's hard for him to reach out across the aisle and and begin attacking republicans because he's been so kind to uh, the previous president and to uh, people who disagree with him and all the rest of it <sighs> Your press, ladies and gentlemen, your Washington press. Uh, Scott, this one's for you. Kyle Rittenhouse, no longer enrolled at Arizona State, Arizona State University following left-wing protests. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, he said during his testimony, during his trial, before his not guilty verdicts, that uh, he was taking some classes at ASU. But the Students for Socialism group at ASU planned a protest and had a series of demands for the university, including, you know, yes. not letting Rittenhouse back in. And apparently, I don't think the university kicked him out. I think Rittenhouse uh, withdrew on his own. And my question, Scott, is can you blame him? I mean, socialists kill people. I, I fail to understand so many things in this world. And uh, well, I think one of the greatest uh, mysteries is the vast numbers of people who think that the way to influence others is by doing exactly the thing that would tick people off. Like just to go out of your way to offend people and that's your effort at, at public persuasion. Like let's say you're a, a good American socialist and you want the best for this country by adopting the socialist form of government. And what would be the best way to approach that? Well, I think first would be to you know cause a ruckus. Second would be to try to clamp down on somebody's freedom. Um, uh, third would be to make sure that somebody whose freedom you're trying to clamp down on is somebody who has come through our constitutional innocent until proven guilty uh, system of laws and the judicial process. I mean, it just like, like let's, they, they have meetings and they go, okay, how could we hurt our case to the maximum extent here? Like, I'm, I'm afraid too many people are starting to like us. What could we do to completely destroy any credibility that we might have? It just doesn't make any sense. There's, there's, it's like the death of, it's not just the death of persuasion in this society, it's the death of even wanting 
to try to persuade someone because we get a bigger rush from just raising a stink and and being obnoxious and getting our name on social media sites or in the news. And now we think we've done something. Yeah, well, they got some kid to stop going to college. So that's uh, that's something for the socialist cause, I suppose. Uh, Bill. Oh, I love this headline. Although it scares me a little. The first living robots that can reproduce uh, microscopic organisms made from frog cells assemble babies in their Pac-Man shaped mouths in breakthrough that could one day be used to destroy cancer cells. Um, are we really in an age where we've got some sort of living von Neumann machines that destroy cancer? This is Sounds amazing. Like a horror movie. I saw this story yesterday and the answer to your question is yes. We manufactured these devices that reproduce themselves. That is that the ability to reproduce yourself is there's been a lot of discussions about what life actually is. But when you get right down to it, despite all of all of the, the, the various uh, conditions and so on, that, that, that uh, biologists, uh, philosophers, everybody, the, the, the one definition that seems to be consistent across the definition of what is alive versus what is not alive is the ability to reproduce itself. That's the, the functional definition of what a living thing is. And uh, I, I just saw the video, but I'm going to assume that that's the case. If we have created, uh, if we have created something that now is able to reproduce itself when it didn't before, and it can just leave it alone now in its little Petri dish, and it continues to multiply and grow, then yes, we have created life in the laboratory. That's the, that's the definition of life. So far, so good. Um, the idea being, of course, that you, this kind of technology could be used for any number of, of wonderful things, and that's also true. But our problem, Steve, is that the people who have the intellectual knowledge to do these kind of things have knowledge that is so exceedingly deep but so exceedingly narrow that they have no functional ability to see what the potential downsides of these technologies are. And we as a society uh, refuse to discuss them like adults. Um, I'm not talking about this particular thing, but um, we'll just take gain of function research, hmm. for example. Right. So the, the, the I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to somebody who I don't think deserves it. But nevertheless, if the idea is that we're going to take a virus that cannot affect a human being, splice it together with a with a with a, a protein surface that does allow it to infect human beings. And the idea being that we need this technology in order to produce drugs that will kill cancer or whatever the case may be. Let's just for the sake of the argument say, OK, that that is a noble goal. But nowhere, anywhere in this process do we ever sit down and say, well, what are the risks versus what are the rewards? And uh, looking at the last two years, we've seen uh, a pretty big, um, pretty big uh, punishment for this for this kind of cavalier attitude. I'm concerned about things like uh, like genetically creating viruses that don't exist in nature. I'm concerned about artificial intelligence, hard AI. Hard AI, the definition of hard AI is, is AI that is, is that is essentially has its own volition. It's not just a system, an expert system that helps you with medicine or helps you with you know design. It's just thinking, thinking creatures. And and what I see again and again and again out there are, are scientists who who are so seduced, that's the word I'm looking for by their skill set and their ability to do things that we no longer ask ourselves whether or not this is something that should be done. Uh, the Luddites are, are, are 
are a group of people that are just commonly referred to now and in, in, in just as a term of derision. Uh, they were people who basically fought against the Industrial Revolution. The short form is they didn't like machines. They were, they were agrarians. They didn't like machines. And they had a problem with the Industrial Revolution. By and large, the Industrial Revolution has been spectacularly great for, for humans. Our life expectancy has tripled. Our wealth is, is multiplied by hundreds. But it's hard to fault the, Lod the Luddites for at least raising the question. And this is the thing that, yeah. that I see today that scares me so much, is not so much that the that people are raising objections and those objections are being defeated. It's that people have objections and their objections are being squashed. And without this back and forth, which makes any decision, forget about politics or science, any decision that's achieved rationally and is likely to be successful is the result of this back and forth. What are the good things that happen if we do this? Great. Well, what about the bad? No, we're not going to worry about yeah. that. We're not going to worry about the bad things. We're just going to move right, right straight ahead. And, and so I'm, I'm pleased about this, and I see a great deal of hope for it, but I also see potential dangers. And furthermore, I am seeing ever-increasing levels of arrogance among the scientific community and for them to be able to claim as they can now legitimately do that we have in fact created life itself uh, doesn't fill me with a with a uh, a sense that that we're going to handle this as seriously as we should be handling these other issues. Yeah, especially now since science is not a process for eliminating human error in the discovery of how nature works, but is now a government sponsored brand. Just, it's actually an individual. It's an individual. Yeah. Science is an individual. Yeah, one guy. He, he said so himself. I'm science and I represent science. And if you attack something, you're attacking science. And don't worry, I'm science. Yeah, indeed. All right. Last one is for me. Uh, I can't remember where I found this headline, but it was asking the question, who is Maureen Comey? Well, she is James yeah. Comey's daughter, and she's also the lead prosecutor in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Hmm. Now, uh I don't think I don't think that Maureen Comey's job here is to somehow get Maxwell a, a, a off the hook to you know sort of rig the trial to to make sure a not guilty verdict comes through. Uh, now that Epstein is gone and he didn't kill himself, now that Epstein is gone, Maxwell she's disposable. They can get rid of her at will. However. You look at some of these names connected to Jeffrey Epstein, who did not kill himself. Bill Gates, Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, billionaire Leon Black, L Brand CEO Les Wexner, Kevin Spacey, Chris Tucker, former Secretary of Labor Alexander Acosta, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. I could go on. Now, uh, Comey's job as prosecutor isn't to, to throw the case to protect Maxwell. It's protect all those names that I just read out to you and make sure that we don't find out the truth of just how deep the rot goes. And that's your lightning round brought to you by members of BillWhittle.com. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.